The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. The job market can be hard for anyone at the best of times. But if you're an ex-prisoner without recognised skills, it can be impossible. In the year after release, up to 80% of prisoners can be unemployed at any time. One groundbreaking new non-profit is out to help change that by helping incarcerated people learn how to code. Take-Two offers three years of support for people with a year of intensive web development training and then two years of support to integrate into the community and the job market. Code is a great leveller. If you learn the rules, put in the work, think creatively and logically, you can excel. Many people who didn't thrive in traditional schooling have found excellence there. The goal of equipping prisoners with highly sought-after skills led today's guest from an exciting career in impact investment into the world of non-profits, dealing with big government departments and multi-generational societal challenges. To talk the big problems and the big ideas to help solve them, CEO Cam Smith joins us today. Kia ora, thank you for being here. Thanks Simon, great to be here. Hey, so tell me about your background before this, working as an investment manager in impact investment. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so impact investing is an emerging field within investment. And so what that is, is effectively securing financial returns or at least the return on capital of your investment, but alongside direct positive social or environmental impact from the the business or project that you invest into. So effectively, what it's trying to prove is that financial returns and positive impact can go hand in hand. They don't need to be mutually exclusive things, which is often the way we we think of the two. Um, So with the Impact Enterprise Fund, that's a venture capital fund that's set up to target market rate financial returns, but then also direct tangible impact, uh, positive social or environmental impact from the business model of the companies that we would invest into. So my role there is an investment manager, is everything from uh, sourcing potential new investments, uh, evaluating those companies and then executing the investment right through to supporting our portfolio companies. So quite an interesting space, a lot of very clever people with with brilliant ideas and definitely keeps you on your toes. Yeah, Yeah, that that 
so cool. How did you get into that world? So impact investing was an area that I had identified that was emerging internationally and had had a few conversations with people that were trying to start this this nascent sector in New Zealand. It's something that's only really emerged here in the last three to four years. Um, at the time when I wanted to move into it and use my financial skills for something really positive uh, alongside generating a, a financial return, so there just weren't really those opportunities out there at that point in time. And I ended up joining NZT Investment, which is New Zealand's economic development agency. And part of our role there in the investment team was to work with New Zealand entrepreneurs and, and businesses, get them investment ready and then partner them with international investment to accelerate their growth, create job opportunities in New Zealand, and accelerate the economy here. So when I joined there, I flagged to them straight away that impact investing was the path I wanted to go down. And and after a couple of years there, uh, the Impact Enterprise Fund popped up, and, and, and they had started to drive forward the impact investing sector here in New Zealand. And uh, I was very fortunate through... NZT Investment, where they gave me an opportunity to to do a secondment where I was able to go work at the Impact Enterprise Fund, and, and that's ultimately how I got my start in, in yeah. the industry. Yeah. And that's so cool. And having had that experience with helping a range of businesses get investment ready, and uh, that, that must have really given you a great head start into what you're looking for in terms of sustainable and real businesses that can deliver that change and that, that rate of return. Exactly. So there's uh, a range of different social and environmental problems you, you would come across in that role, a uh, range of entrepreneurs um, doing amazing things and solving problems. And what that ultimately did for me was normalize individuals seeing a problem and going after it and, and making something happen to, to tackle that. So when it came to me doing something similar, it wasn't this really foreign idea to step out and do it. I had seen people consistently do that and be very successful at that. And yeah, tell me about the birth of the idea for for Take Two for you. As I mean, from the outside, that kind of gig that you were in sounds pretty amazing. You know, working with people who are changing the world and doing good stuff, and then also providing financial returns. So, in the world of VC and investment, and probably got you know some good salaries and some big kind of future opportunities and stuff. And and then what was it that had you decide to step sideways? And start a non-profit. Yes, I think the the best way to talk through this and to help people understand why I made what maybe seen as quite an unusual move and quite a drastic move to to leave a career that has all these prospects and opportunities and a lot of people would love to to work in. Uh, but for me, at the, the core of who I am, if I go back to my upbringing, I, I grew up in a small farming town in New Zealand. I had a a single mother that raised my two brothers and I while working three jobs. She worked at the local video shop, the school canteen as a teacher aide, and she raised us on less than $40,000 a year. So by anybody's definition, we were a low socioeconomic family growing up. And to be honest, growing up, it did feel that way. I, I felt I had it harder than others. I had a chip on my shoulder. I couldn't seem to shake, but when I got older and I got more life perspective, I was able to realize that that whole time I was actually 
privileged. I was just less privileged than many of the individuals I was around. I had a mother that was role modeling work ethic, persistence, perseverance while she was working these three jobs. I had grandparents just down the street that were able to step in and help raise me. I had a great education that was enabled and supported by my family. And I was born a white male that went into business and perhaps undeserving of some of the privileges that that do come with that. So when I reflected on the fact that if I thought I had it hard growing up, but maybe I didn't, well, what about individuals that, that actually do? So I had a strong sense of tackling injustice, I guess, in the world. And um, my first job out of university was in recruitment. And that was where I saw firsthand the impact of a criminal conviction on someone looking to secure employment and move on with their life. And individuals had made a mistake two years ago, five years ago. They had served their time according to our justice system. But we as a society were actually then stepping in and serving a second sentence for these individuals, which is often lifelong for them. And it doesn't just impact them, it impacts their their families as well and creates or contributes to this the cycle of crime that these individuals often find themselves in. So when I came across this program in the US called The Last Mile and what they were doing to, to teach people in prison to, to code and they had a 0% rate of reoffending. They had individuals working at Slack, Adobe, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, a lot of leading companies around the world. I thought, I need to, I need to bring this here. You know, we have one of the, the highest incarceration rates in the Western world. We have a large proportion of, of Māori um, in our prison system, 15% of our total population, but about 51% of our prison population. So there's a massive need for programs like this here in New Zealand. Um, and when New Zealand stacks up really well on so many things on the global stage, I think, unfortunately, when it comes to incarceration and recidivism, that's an area that has been so systemic here for a long time as it has been in other parts around the world, but such a complex problem to try to tackle and and a great solution that's working overseas that really, if we customise it here in New Zealand, could work here too. And how did you go about taking that first kind of, um, you know, seeing that idea happening overseas and working and checking out to see if it was something that could happen here? Did you have any um, kind of, you know, did you have any experience working with big op- organisations like Corrections or, uh, you, you know, any kind of um, contact with that world? So with NZTE, it's a, it's a quasi-government entity, mm-hmm. so that was some good exposure to to government there and not making it so daunting to, to work with big government agencies. So when I saw these programs working as well, the first thing I did was reach out to them and and jump on a call and how do they make this work? What were the steps they took? And started to build out a bit of a, a business case here for New Zealand and, and how it would need to be tailored here. But ultimately I realized that if I want to do this right and if I really want to commit to it, I need to go visit and I need to see this in person with my own eyes and, and meet some of the individuals that have gone through the program and now working at Slack and what their insights were, what they wish would have been different if they had their time over again. Um, and ultimately, that helped to build the relationships with those programs that have helped to guide me and advise me on my journey to date as well. So I took the big leap of, of leaving my full-time job and fully committing to it. And uh, so I went to visit the programs, 
came back, uh, pulled together a, a great advisory board who wanted to, to be on this journey too and, and really aligned with this co-popper and then went about raising the, the seed funding after after pulling them together and many, many coffees with various individuals, people who are already delivering programs and uh, the correction system or partnering with government and what their advice was and what support they could give me. So yeah, it was well over a a hundred coffees and Zoom calls throughout that time, yeah. And what was behind the decision to to kind of leap before having it all pulled together? Yeah, so I'd initially tried doing it for one day a week. So with that, I realised that that was in no way doing it justice and that ultimately when I'd wake up in the morning and get out of bed, this was the thing I would think about. And this is what was really giving me my my energy and and passion. So I realized that if I was really going to make a good go at this and for this to be successful, then it needed my full time and attention. The second thing was also demonstrating to others that I am serious and I am committed to to make this work. I think there might be a lot of initiatives in this space or socially oriented where it might be a side project that that someone does and and all those are really valuable. But for something like this, such a complex problem, um, individuals that have a a range of reasons for why they end up in the system and then the system is this this beast in itself, that's something that I'd need to devote my career to for the, the time being to really launch this, get it up and running and make it successful. So so when I realised that, it became not easy to, to step away from what I was doing before, but it became the, the obvious answer and solution that needed to be done. Wow. And how did you pull together that advisory board and get it off the ground? Because yeah, what, what, what's happening with it today? Yeah, so with the advisory board, I was, I was very fortunate with the career I'd had to, to know a number of these individuals. So they already knew me and, and knew why I was going on this journey and seen the commitments I'd making, so I was already making. So with that, there that wasn't a hard sell uh, with, with a lot of those individuals. And then for the others that I didn't knew, there was always a way to find a, a warm introduction to them as well and, and talk them through the, the journey we're going on and, and the co-papa and, and how it may align with them and, and what they've stood for in the past, the role they would play within Take Two, given their specific skill sets and being really clear about the, the time commitment of what I, was, what I was asking of them as well. And so I was, I was very fortunate and lucky that nobody said no. And <laughs> uh-huh. pulled to sit together a bit of a, a dream team of people. Yeah, and it's been really valuable for uh, yeah what has been a very challenging journey and uh, getting this off the ground. Uh, and they've been really supportive in regards to general advice, connections, partnerships. Um, so they've been really key to this being as successful as it has been to date. Yeah, yeah t- t- talk us through kind of what operations are like today. Is it must be. A very, you know, like, you know, it's generations uh, and, and, and hundreds of years to kind of get into the spot that we're in at the moment. How do you start to get 
a program involved? I mean, it's a three-year program for a start, and uh, I imagine working with you know any big organisation, but something like Corrections um, wouldn't be a particularly easy thing just to bowl up and set up something that's completely new. How, how do you make that happen? Again, I think it talks to what I had done earlier where showing them how committed I was by visiting these international programs, having them advise us on that journey, the the challenges they overcame, how they de-risked it in a corrections environment, having this advisory board assisting us on that journey as well, understanding that with them, there would be a lot of time to get comfortable with the idea. It's it's quite left field from a, a lot of the programs that are offered in the system at the moment. So these new risks and their mind around offering a computer you know, and access to a computer and these technical skills to someone who's in prison and give them time and ultimately... You know, that risk or the fear of the unknown will slowly dissipate. And that's exactly what happened. And it takes time to build the relationships and build that trust. So I was going in eyes wide open around that. But ultimately, once we've built that trust and on many layers within uh, corrections and also the prison that we operate at uh, within now, then there was that a sense of being comfortable to launch the the pilot at Auckland South Corrections Facility, which launched October last year. And how's it going? And what what's involved in the pilot? So the the pilot is going great. We're we're about six months in now, and already starting to see the early signs of transformations in, in some of the the men. So it's a, a men's prison that we've initially launched into. So now we're getting all these referrals from people uh, in our program where they've completely changed their behaviours when they're going back to the cells and and now all of a sudden they're reading, they're studying, they're working and people are coming up to them saying, what are you doing? What program are you on? I want to be on that too. So we're getting all these referrals coming to us and, and all these amazing insights from the individuals around perhaps how their traditional system didn't quite work for them but now they have this opportunity to, to build things and be creative and learn this technical skill set and something that maybe they'll be judged more for around their ability than what they've done in the past so they feel really inspired and, and motivated and it's, it's very rewarding to be on that journey with them. And how does it practically work like um, you, you know uh, there, there's there's different computer languages to learn. There's different skills. There's different kind of kind of industries or roles you could be going for. But kind of like um, code is kind of I guess one step in a in a whole bunch of issues with um, you know stats around people who are incarcerated being much more likely to have learning difficulties or uh, you, you know literacy even is a real real problem there. So yeah, how do you come in with a with a coding program and work in that really complicated environment? Yeah, so one of the, the biggest challenges we had to overcome was we're teaching these individuals to design and build websites, but we don't have access to the internet. <laughs> so quite a, a key problem when it comes to something like this. So we've customised everything to work in, a, in an offline environment. The Another key thing we've done for these individuals is make it really project-oriented. So for them, they can see 
visually see their, their, their progress, right? They can work on projects every single month and go back and apply the new skills they've learned to old projects they've done. And, and that's really empowering for them to see that progress that they're making. For individuals that suffer from different uh, learning challenges, if I think about uh, dyslexia, for example, there's many really, really great coders that are dyslexic and that's something that doesn't hold you back in, re- in regards to a coding field. With web development, it's also quite a creative pursuit as well. So yes, you learn these technical skills and you need to operate within these technical skills, uh, these technical uh, abilities, but from there you can create whatever you want. And again, that's something that's really empowering for these guys when they when they understand that and they see that and they start bringing their ideas to, to life. And many Māori and Pacifica in, in prison, they're... The cultural backgrounds, they've been quite artistic in the past with carvings, paintings, and something that could be quite a natural pursuit for them that they may pick up quicker than other individuals. That's so cool. And so the, so it's web development and then learning what kind of like languages required to do that. Uh, and, and is there kind of like a specific goal to pop out with, you know, a, a kind of tr- trade, you know, ready, mm. ready to go and a, a kind of technological trade? Yeah. So with what we do, we're trying to move away from sort of certifications and understanding that. In the tech industry, it's more about what you can do rather than what qualifications you have. So for our individuals, it's really building up that skill set so they can prove their ability to potential employers going forward and the specific skills they need in the workplace, they can demonstrate in advance in an uh, interview process with them. So for us, we're bringing in potential employers into the classroom and showing them what the guys are, are working on and they can see it for themselves. Kia ora, I'm Jane, podcast manager here at The Spinoff. I'm just dropping in to recommend subscribing to The Spinoff Rec Room. It's our weekly newsletter delivered to inboxes every Wednesday and it's packed full of all our best recommendations. There's new things to watch, listen to, read, play, eat, drink or make your life that little bit better in some other way. Subscribe now at the newsletter section of thespinoff.co.nz or head over to thespinoffrecroom.substack.com to have a sneak peek first. Tell me about those relationships with the potential employers and the kind of corporate partners there. As I imagine, you know, so much of being in a position to kind of make positive change is to see some hope in your future, you know. And you you look at, I imagine the people that you're dealing with are people who have not been offered many chances or or feel much, uh, feel many routes to jobs and life and society accepting them if you're sitting in jail. And what does it what does it mean to have you know people from the the business world come in and and and, and want to be part of it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and a, a good point. That actually just yesterday afternoon we had one of our employment partners come in, and I, I can't name them yet, but they were talking around uh, offering internships and and what questions these guys have around what kind of world they would be walking into. And for many individuals, it's their first white-collar professional environment they would be going into. But when we talk about just support 
and what that looks like. One of the questions from one of the men was, I've never felt supported. I don't know what support is um, until I've been in this program. And so what does that look like from a, a work perspective and uh, to, to work for your organization? And you know, that was quite incredible to hear that something that would be such a given for many of us uh, is something that's so foreign to, to many of these individuals. So to have people take time out of their, their busy work days and, and come into the prison and, and show the guys that it's not all talk and that they really are committed to, to seeing them be successful and the fact that a lot of individuals do go into prison and they think, no one's going to employ me again, I need to start my own business or they don't know what they're going to do. And to have these employers come in and say, no, actually, we, we will employ you and actually we're going to create some internship opportunities for you when you get out is, is really powerful and great motivation for the, the men to pick those skills up. Yeah, it's kind of wild, eh? Like if you were trying to design a system to take people who were not, um, were not sticking within the lines and then improve them, I don't think you'd come up with prison, hey. <laughs> you wouldn't come up with some kind of hyper-aggressive uh, kind of environment um, where people are, are just kind of abandoned and um, t- treated in very inhumane ways and then put them into an environment where kind of a- 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 aggression and fear rule and then say, okay, well, now you pop out and you're going to be fine. Like, it's, it's totally bananas. Exactly. So if we think about... Um, the people who often end up in prison, over three quarters of individuals have been physically or sexually abused themselves. So often they are victims themselves. Over 90% of individuals have a, a mental health or substance abuse issue. So if punishing individuals, you know, a really punitive justice system was the way to correct someone's behavior, those numbers should be the other way mm. around, right? But but clearly that, that doesn't work. And so <laughs> offering hope and, and education and employment is something that all that the international research shows us is a great way to get the, the outcomes. What's it like personally for you as, um, you know, what a remarkable thing to be to be making happen and to be seeing these kind of changes in people? Yeah, I think, again, I feel very privileged to, to have this opportunity where for a lot of these men, it's the lowest point in their life uh, in prison and there's a lot of shame and guilt and not a lot of hope. And for us, there's this amazing opportunity to provide some of that to them, to, to give them a great opportunity and support and to show that actually society does want you to succeed and, and here's some individuals that are going to employ you when, when you come out and here's individuals that are going to come in on a regular basis and deliver workshops for you and, and help you with your code and your projects. And for the guys, yeah, again, it's just something that they've often never had before and to give you a really specific example, last week we had a, a Fano day. The premise of that was to, to bring the Fano on the on the journey. So code for a lot of these families is is quite a foreign concept, you know, tech in itself, but they like coding. So what we wanted to do was bring it to life. So they could come out to the prison. Uh, the individuals in our program could present some of their projects and talk about their experience in the program. And then they can start to see what, what we're doing and the journey they're on. And they could invite two members of their whanau and 
only one individual had both members show up to to see him present and with his projects and talk about his experience and a couple of individuals had no one show up. So again, just going back to that support, it's just something that many individuals have not happened and that was really the, the stark reality where it, it truly set in for me as a real visible example. And what will your what are the goals of the program now? So you're in a pilot and looking you know, looking through the program, it's really interesting the way that it's not just a series of workshops while people are incarcerated. There's that after release support as well. Tell me about how that works and what the goals are there. Yeah, great. And and even with the training in prison, it's important I think to mention that it's not just code. So it's a holistic training program where we also deliver workshops around personal development, communication skills, mindfulness, meditation. So really a a holistic focus around that with web development at its core, around the technical skills they're learning and will ultimately hopefully get employment from. So when they come out, we understand that that's a really challenging time for individuals. Again, going back to this key theme around support, and they're trying to navigate their way in this world where they want to get a job, but many people won't employ them. They want to find a place to live, but no one wants to live with them. And it's really hard. And if you don't have strong family support, it's, it's really hard to stand on your own two feet and make your way uh, in the world. So for us, we, we understand that and we appreciate that. So one of the key things we want to do is partner with organizations that are already doing great work uh, around that reintegration space. But then also we'll provide our graduates with mentors when they come out. So life mentors, career mentors who can help them navigate life and those everyday challenges on the outside world and, and those everyday work challenges that, that pop up as well. And then help provide access to what I call fair chance employers. So employers that won't screen for a criminal conviction throughout the employment process and then building out our internship partners as well, so businesses that are going to actively create an internship opportunity for a graduate who comes out of our program. So then we're creating this direct education to employment pathway as our key focus to reduce reoffending. And with the project and pilot at the moment at one prison, what are the goals for getting it throughout more prisons and, and more corrections uh, spaces. Yeah, so the the short term goals with the prison is is to have a high graduation rate, right? So we want to show that these individuals can do this work, that they can pick up a really challenging skill set if provided the opportunity and given the support. So if we have that, then then we can show other individuals at other prisons and also other prisons that this is possible to deliver and scale across the, the prison estate. With that, when they come out, we want to have a high degree of our individuals uh, employed or going into further education. So when they come out and they look for employment, it it could be as a web developer or it could be something unrelated but still in tech or it could be something completely different they want to go into. Um, But if they want to go and retrain as well and what they've taken from our program is that they've gone through a, a rigorous training and education program and being successful and that now maybe they want to be a social worker or whatever it is they now have the confidence to do that and they have the skills to learn to go out and go to a tertiary institution and and do that whereas before that was quite a foreign concept to them so that's still a really successful outcome as well 
So those would be the, the key measures in that short to medium term we'd be looking at to then scale this to, to other prisons. Oh, wow. And what would your advice be to someone who, you know, from, from your experience so far, from someone who maybe does have um, – they, they they see a big problem and they they want to create some 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 impact. Um, as I imagine, it must be moving into like the non profit space must be hard um, for you know you know just being able to keep the wheels going on mm. a business, um, and and then working with such big institutions, it must be kind of like slow and challenging. I mean, it feels like you've you've made great progress in a, in a short amount of time. What would your advice be for people who do want to come into these spaces that are maybe a lot slower and a lot kind of like harder to navigate than the world of business? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, big question. Um, uh, the first thing I'd say is to, if there's a, a problem you've identified that you really want to tackle is to, to research what's already going on and, and is there an organisation that's already tackling that problem and can you work with them uh, around that? If there's no organisation that's already tackling that problem, then is there anyone internationally that's tackling that problem and then how are they going about doing that? So try to build the relationship with them and, and get those insights and then think, how does that apply back to New Zealand? And that's always a really good place to start and a really good context. Then think about what are the skill sets you need to, to execute on this vision? So what are the skills that you bring to the table and what are the skills that you lack and being really honest about that and then mapping that out and who are all the individuals that maybe have really strong connections in that space or experience in that space or that you can then approach that can help to, to fill those gaps. So you have a well-rounded uh, advisory board that can help you on that journey. Then securing the funding is always a, a big one as well. So I spent a lot of time securing the seed funding and making sure it was well-funded before we hit play and, and went ahead. So mapping out again, what are the specific costs to, to run this program? If there's the international programs, what would the cost for them? Uh, and bring that back to New Zealand and, and tailoring it here and, and raising that funding. And, and once you've got that funding, then... So that's behind you for the time being, and then you can focus on on getting your foot in the door and getting your first runs on the board and, and getting going. Once you get going, that's when you'll find you start to build momentum and things start to become a little easier and easier. So things at the start, I'd say be prepared that they could be quite slow going and, and very arduous. But if you've got that persistence and, and resilience to, to keep going through that, then you'll find that things will start to, to fall into place over time. And if people listening would like to help, how can they get behind you? Yeah, so there's a few ways that, that people could get involved. So if you're an employer, uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a, a fair chance hiring policy or if you'd like to take an intern on our program. And again, it doesn't actually have to be in, in web development. It could be uh, in any field, um, ideally tech-related. We'd love to speak to you and, and we can bring you into the classroom and you can meet the guys and, and you can see the work that they're doing. Um, if you're a tech company and you have different services you could offer or different workshops you could run that could better prepare these individuals for a career in tech. For example, we have uh, Spark coming in to deliver agile workshops for our individuals. Um, 
you know, would love to do that as well. Again, it helps to smooth that transition and that journey for getting out of prison and then into the workplace. Uh, another big one is, is always funding. So that nonprofit space, you know, there are times where you're fully funded, but you're always fundraising. It's always at the back of your mind. Um, for the initial stages, we are uh, privately funded through uh, philanthropic foundations and high net worth individuals. And then that's allowing us to innovate with our business model, eventually to land on what will become a self-sustaining nonprofit where we have our own revenue streams to reinvest in our education programs. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. And what will be success for you in the space? Like, What would you like to see? Um, yeah, what would you like to see happen? And, and what would make um, you feel successful here? So success in regards to tackling recidivism. Yeah, to, ta- to what Take Two's what Take Two's about. Yeah, I think ultimately rolling out more programs like this across the the prisoner states, having many employers sign up and and remove some of that uh, initial prejudice around criminal convictions, um, and that there's more of a, a fair chance hiring policy that's implemented across the industry. For us having many case studies of individuals that are out working for some of these blue chip marquee companies and they're just as good as anybody else if if given the opportunity. So all of a sudden we start to realize that, hey, maybe talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And if we step up and we give these individuals that opportunity and support, they can actually do some really amazing things as well. And and ultimately that's going to lead to less crime in our communities um, and, and these individuals being great role models for, for their families and, and putting an end to that intergenerational cycle of crime. Ah, it's just magic. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story of the work you're doing. And yeah, I can't wait to see where you take it next. Thank you. That's Cam Smith, the founder and CEO at Take Two. Great. Thanks, Simon. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Tina Tiller for producing. Thank you very much for having us along and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.